next Saturday, February the 19th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, catch up, Biden's Ukraine warning, and Canada's convoy crackdown. First, the week in brief. President Joe Biden said he was convinced that Vladimir Putin, Russia's president, has decided to invade Ukraine and attack its capital, Kyiv, within days. Mr Biden reiterated that America would not send troops to defend Ukraine, but would continue to send arms and financial aid. The United States Embassy relocated from Kyiv to Lviv in western Ukraine earlier in the week. Mr Putin will oversee nuclear drills this weekend, ratcheting up tensions further. Police in Ottawa said they arrested 70 protesters in a crackdown against the truck convoy that had blockaded the Canadian capital's downtown for nearly three weeks. Protesters were angry about COVID-19 restrictions and vaccine mandates. This week, Justin Trudeau, Canada's Prime Minister, invoked a 34-year-old emergency law for the first time in order to quell the demonstrations. America's Federal Reserve overhauled trading rules for its leadership and staff in the wake of scandals that caused three senior officials to resign. The new rules will bar senior officials from trading assets, including stocks, bonds and cryptocurrencies. Last year it was revealed that two regional bank presidents and a vice chair were trading as the central bank launched measures to bolster the economy against the effects of the pandemic. Health authorities in Malawi declared a polio outbreak after Africa's first wild case since 2016 was found in a three-year-old child. World Health Organization officials said the case was likely imported from Pakistan, one of two countries where polio is endemic, the other being Afghanistan. On Thursday, Bill Gates told reporters in Pakistan that polio could be eradicated in the coming years. Stock markets shuddered at the prospect of war in Ukraine, with several big indices falling. On Thursday, America's Dow Jones Industrial Average shed 1.8% in its worst session of 2022. Sell-offs this year have already wiped over $3 trillion from the total stock market value of firms listed in America. In Asia, several major stock markets opened lower on Friday and then fell further. People view climate change as the biggest threat to world security, according to a survey commissioned ahead of the Munich Security Conference. Despite the poll coinciding with the start of military tension between Russia and Ukraine in November, the 12,000 people questioned globally listed global warming, habitat destruction and extreme weather as the three most notable risks. And Tesla. An electric car maker accused the Securities and Exchange Commission, the main regulator of America's stock markets, of, quote, unrelenting harassment of Elon Musk, its chief executive. In 2018, the SEC sued Mr Musk for a misleading tweet about making Tesla public. 
Since then, Tesla asserted the SEC has launched several investigations, mostly motivated by Mr Musk's outspoken criticism of the government. And now, here's today's agenda. Putin rattles the nuclear sabre. The Ukraine crisis is entering an acutely dangerous phase. On Saturday, Vladimir Putin, Russia's president, oversees an exercise by Russia's nuclear forces featuring the launch of nuclear-capable ballistic and cruise missiles. The, quote, Grom drill is ostensibly a regular annual event, but coincides with Russia's build-up and conventional exercises near Ukraine. Grom is, in effect, a warning of nuclear escalation if the West intervenes in Russia's looming invasion of its neighbour. America says Russia is still massing forces, with up to 190,000 troops deployed in or near Ukraine. On Friday, shelling along the, quote, line of control between Ukraine and Russian-backed breakaway regions intensified to levels unseen in years. Separatist leaders said they would evacuate their population to Russia. Cyber attacks on Ukraine have also increased. War might come with a big bang. Or it could be a murky deterioration that makes it hard for the West to decide whether and when to impose the, quote, massive sanctions that have been promised. India's schooling woes. This week, after nearly two years, children in several Indian states returned to the classroom. India's school closures were intended to slow the spread of COVID-19, but at a high cost. Many of the 247 million children locked out of the country's 1.5 million schools may have dropped out completely to hunt for work or support their families. Those who do come back will need to make up for lost time. Studies revealed a precipitous fall in learning outcomes during the pandemic, especially among poorer children. One survey suggests only 8% of pupils in rural India studied online regularly. In response, the government has launched a, quote, learning recovery plan, which will provide financial aid to pupils and technology to teachers. But India's schools need more than just recovery. Even before the pandemic, educational attainment was dismal. In 2019, just half of pupils aged eight in rural India could read text meant for six-year-olds. Widening the pool of organ donation. Tens of thousands of people die every year while waiting for an organ transplant. Meanwhile, many organs go to waste for want of a suitable match. This paradox is partly a result of the puzzle of blood type. The body will only accept blood or organs from a compatible blood group. Researchers reporting in Science Translational Medicine have managed to convert type A donor lungs to type O, the, quote, universal donor. Blood type is determined by the presence of antigens on the surface of a person's red blood cells. Foreign antigens from a different blood type 
can trigger an adverse immune response. Type O blood lacks antigens, making it universally acceptable. The researchers treated type A donor lungs with enzymes to clear the antigens from the organ's surface. Tests showed they could then tolerate blood that would have been otherwise incompatible with type A lungs. This process could boost the pool of universal donor organs from 55% to over 80%, meaning more lives saved and fewer organs binned. Yoko Ono's songwriting reassessed. She was widely disliked when she released her debut album in 1970. People unjustly held Yoko Ono responsible for the breakup of the Beatles. The group was then in the process of dissolving. And, true to her avant-garde sensibilities, Yoko Ono slash Plastic Ono band was experimental and strange. An American radio DJ predicted that people would love it or hate it, but that it would influence other musicians regardless. A new album and podcast, both named Ocean Child, suggest that DJ was right. Conceived by Ben Gibbard, the lead singer of Death Cab for Cutie, a rock band, the project explores Miss Ono's musical legacy. The record is made up of covers of her songs by performers, such as Sharon Van Etten and David Byrne. On the podcast, musicians discuss how her work inspired theirs. Together, they reappraise Miss Ono's art. Just in time for her 89th birthday. Weekend Profile Balbir Singh Rajawal Indian protester turned politician In November, the Bharatiya Janata Party, India's ruling party, made a humiliating U-turn. Around a year after ramming three agricultural reform laws through Parliament, Prime Minister Narendra Modi announced their repeal. It was a rare climb down, because the opposition is hapless. He usually gets his way. This time, Balbir Singh Rajul helped ensure that he did not. Mr Rajul, a farmer from Punjab, a northern state, and the founder of a big agricultural union, led thousands of farmers to the outskirts of Delhi, the capital. They campaigned relentlessly and mostly peacefully against the proposals, which they argued would let big agribusiness take them for a ride. Their agitation gave birth to a political movement. More than 20 of the protesting groups united to form a party called the Samayuktuk Samaj Morcha. Led by Mr Rajawal, it will contest regional elections in Punjab on Sunday. Posters in his hometown of Samrala call him the, quote, superhero of the mega battle that was fought on the borders of Delhi. In a state dominated by agriculture, Mr Rajawal has the right credentials for politics. His family has a history of leading farmers' protests. He joined them in the 1970s after brief stints working for the state-owned telephone company and as an agent at an agricultural market. A frequent protester, he was arrested in 1974 and mounted a hunger strike in 2009. That attracted overtures from political parties, but he resisted. 
now aged 78 with five decades experience campaigning for farmers. He says he is ready to fight from inside the state assembly. He has the resources to campaign. Despite presenting himself as a champion of small farmers, he is a, quote, karepity, someone with assets of at least 10 million rupees, $134,000. He claims to be worth 34 million rupees, $4.7 million, thanks to his 24 hectares of farmland and two rice mills. But Mr Rajawal is discovering that organising protests and running political parties takes different skill sets. Many farmers are unhappy with the politicisation of their movement. Some are disappointed by the candidates he has chosen. Opinion polls suggest his party little chance of success. Winning elections may not be Mr Rajawal's superpower. Espresso Quiz This week's quiz winners Thank you to everyone who took part in this week's quiz. The winners, chosen at random from each continent, were Asia Won Zhen Lek, Singapore North America Alicia Karan, Washington DC, United States of America Central and South America George Power, Lima, Peru Europe Giedrius Kazakavesius, Helsinki, Finland. Africa, Giles Mulholland, Schumannskluf, South Africa. Oceania, Rata Ingram, Christchurch, New Zealand. They all gave the correct answers of Iron, Ants, Steve Strange, Hawkeye, and Black Panthers, all of which are linked by a connection to Marvel heroes. Check back on Monday for the beginning of next week's edition and your chance to win. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Harper Lee, who died on this day in 2016. People in their right minds never take pride in their talents. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening. <laughs> 